I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! The Roll for Initiative Podcast, Volume 4, Issue 158. I am Vince, sitting with Matt. Hello, everyone. And via satellite phone, Nick. Hello, everybody. I'm at a remote location in Castle Greyhawk. Yes. I'm on the third level. He's on the third level of Castle Greyhawk, yes. And today's show is brought to you by Quick Trip, where you can go get your delicious soda and fountain drink for only 99 cents. Now, why am I plucking Quick Trip? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Who are Do we have a new what? sponsorship? No, but uh, you can become a sponsor of the show. Speaking of sponsors, if you head over to uh, patreon.com uh, slash WGP for Wild Games Productions, and you can sponsor all the podcasts in the network and become sponsors on the network for only a couple bucks a month and help keep the lights on and pay for our servers just to donate if you want. You don't have to. Just saying if you want to. It's there. The option's there. So what's going on? What's been going on? Nick, Nick, how's Castle Greyhawk doing there? Actually, yeah, we took a little break from that. We uh, started up my friend Jeff's Star Wars campaign. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that turned out rather well. And I think uh, this coming weekend we're going to get back to Castle Greyhawk, or we might do like half and half, half his campaign, half mine. So, yeah, uh, hopefully they'll get past the first level. But they're very thorough. <laughs> you know, they they are, you know, they're experienced dungeoneers. So they go by many of the known rules like rule number you know basically rule number 42 never leave any rooms left uh unchecked so they have to check the whole level before they go to the next one oh, boy, that i mean be- that's how they want to do fine but all the good stuff is getting is down below guys you know let's get going here but yeah that's fine they're still having fun so it's cool. And, and you're using. What do you want to do? You're How using, about you, Vince? You're using Reup from Star Wars, that new one, Reup, right? Yes, yes. Jeff was using those revised, expanded, and uh, yeah, I love that rule set. So yeah, we're using that for that one. And um, yeah, it seems to be pretty going pretty well. We mean, just right before Order 66 was given, and when we went down to the surface with a bunch of clone troopers, what happened? Order 66 was given. <laughs> so. Yeah, what a, what a great book. That you was a go, good time. Had, uh, right on Google Plus, they had their own community. And under the D6 Star Wars community, they're right in there. And that book, I printed it out. It's huge, that book. I don't know. Yeah, if you... it's ginormous. And good artwork, too. Yeah. Great artwork. Great artwork. Anyway, uh, what about you, Matt? Well, we got in another session of the TMNT campaign, uh, and uh, I found the 
I had missed the week prior, so I found that my character had been at some point bopped on the head and kidnapped and thrown into what's basically like a ran a large warehouse with a bunch of like buildings and walls and things that was basically kind of uh being used they would gather mutants and humans would pay to hunt the mutants so basically i was like wild prey and then my the rest of my compadres ended up breaking in and so saving it's like me. a tmnnt version of running man yeah actually that very much so and i my character had no weapons at all um, outside of, I am a koala bear, so I do have claws. So I was clawing things and being ornery. But uh, <sighs> there, and then there was even some mutants that were actually paying to hunt mutants as well, which was a little disturbing. Yeah, but, which turtles were you using? You using after the bomb or the actual turtles? No, the actual TMNT, the revised. Oh, okay. So uh, sexual orientation was not a mental illness in this game. <laughs> Yeah, that was only in the first edition. Yes, only in the very first edition. But didn't you say yeah. you guys are using the after the bomb one too? Yeah, we were using that for the purpose of like additional uh, animals and mutants. I mean, we ended up using every TMNT book or, <sighs> or an after the bomb book for, when, for for the sole purpose okay. of just picking our animals, like. My koala came from mutants down under, and someone was a sparrow out of mutants of Avalon. And then we also used ninjas and super spies mm-hmm. to for more additional martial arts and like some rifters, which our GM is kind of regretting ever doing. Because contrary to what Palladium says, the mar- everything isn't necessarily balanced the same between their games. No, no, definitely not. Yes, no. this, the system is compatible. No. The numbers don't always uh, the line reason up. I asked, yeah, the reason I asked about the After the Bomb book, because for some reason I thought I remember uh, reading or hearing somewhere that that's like one of those supplements from that game that's really hard to find. Well, it was a supplement for that's TMNT. Then after they lost the TMNT license, they made After the Bomb the main rule book. Yeah, because they couldn't get any licenses anymore oh, right okay. so instead of throwing the whole system away they kept the mutant based rpg they just named it after the bomb okay i get it yeah so we're doing that and we have another session tonight um we did successfully escape the running man but <clears throat> then we found out it was actually being ran by like the uh chicago mafia and that also lots of high-ranking government officials are in on it as well and don't particularly care for mutants, so it's kind of got that... It's kind of shadow runnish because mutants are actually amongst the people and well-known, so it's like the dwarves and elves and trolls and whatnot of Shadowrun, so it's kind of got that vibe going on, but it's more modern-day, less cyberpunky. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's good times, interesting... As long as you're able to deal with the quirkiness of the Palladium multiverse system, I, I, I guess I, I was reading it again recently because I was like, oh, I might want to play this because a couple yeah. of my friends saw the book and they're like, "Hey, that's really cool," but I just for some reason I just can't wrap my head around the mechanics right now. I don't know why. Yeah, it's it's different. The combat is very much based. The, the, there's a heavy influence on hand to hand combat. Yeah. 
uh, with lots of rules for parrying, dodging, and kicks. And you have, like, once you throw in ninjas and super spars, you have about 30 different ways you can do D6, 1d6 damage with your fist. And the only difference between all of them is fluff. <laughs> yeah. Just the mechanics I was reading, and I'm like, huh. I played this as a kid, and I'm just like, this was so simple, but now I'm just like, whoa, what's wrong? I just can't grasp it right now. Put it down. Yeah, because basically <laughs> just about all combat's opposed checks for the most part. Be that yeah. you rolled a hit, then they rolled a parry, or they rolled a dodge, and you and it's that very much has that back and forth. So you you never really have uh, to worry. Opposing diet, diet rolls. Yeah. There's a lot of that, and there's a lot of techniques for like you can roll with the punch you can do a backflip in combat and th- there's a lot you can do with it but the rules aren't really well explained it's i went a couple years ago to the palladium open house where they open up their warehouse and just run a convention for three days and getting to see the system run by like some of the riders is actually really cool and things start making sense <laughs> then <laughs> so if you can Game with the game's designer, you'll learn the rules. That's what I say. So this year they're they are doing an open house up oh, in oh, that's well, that's uh, real handy. <laughs> yeah, up in Detroit. So if you feel like going up to Detroit to for and gaming in the Palladium Warehouse, it's good times. I'd recommend it. Eh, wow. <laughs> Send him to Detroit. Yes. yes. Uh, my, I'm right now planning a bunch of games right now. I'm going to do some actual play podcasts. So, uh, I'm in the process of writing a bunch of stuff for our shows. So stay tuned stay tuned. That's all I could say. My 5e game is on hiatus for the moment while our DM is, uh, finishing up his paperwork for his PhD. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, that's more important than gaming for him and, and everybody else. Yeah. Is his PhD at least in game design? Uh, no, it's in like business or something. Uh, Crap. <laughs> anyway. So that's what's up. Uh, let's head into some sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice. We have a sage advice, sage advice, not cinnamon, but sage advice. Yes, Nick is actually via satellite phone right now due to technical difficulties. <laughs> yes, via satellite phone in Castle Greyhawk. I told you, I'm heading down to level four here in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay, so we have a voicemail this week, so we'll just sit back and listen to that first. It's uh, about three minutes and 20 seconds, so let's see. Alrighty. Hey, guys. I just wanted to say I really appreciated the RFI episode about skill checks. I've heard a lot of, <clears throat> say a lot, one of the complaints that I've heard in uh, podcasts of a more modern variety about 1E uh, is that it's quote-unquote broken because uh, the rules don't cover everything. Uh, for example, uh, there's not this in-depth skill system or, or anything like that. Um, but I was, but but everything you guys said about you know just coming up with uh, whatever solution makes sense, you know some three sixes, be the ability score whatever. <laughs> and I was looking at the uh, the DMG, one of the very early sections where it talks about how you can use the the three sixes to cover a bell curve of probabilities and other dice combinations for 
linear probabilities. Um, when I first bought the DMG reprint, uh, having never gotten the original way back in the day, um, I, I read that section, but it was kind of lost on me. It's like, what's all this? Um, it, and my, my mind just said, Matt, and, and filed it to the side. But I went back to it after I listened to your episode, and basically everything you guys said was what he was saying. And, and what's fascinating is that in more recent games where they have all these sections about, you know, skill checks and and uh, whatever sort of rules and applications and 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 uh, and formulas that they have, he he just says, look, you know, you you can make up whatever you want, and they give the great example of how. Um, he had a, a die with the, the suits of a deck of cards on it, and he used that and a couple of other three sixes to to come up with when an NPC um, encountered his party, how they were gonna, <clears throat> how that NPC was gonna react to the party, and to what degree that reaction would stick in terms of whether it would be positive or negative, and really, really positive or really, really negative. And um, and I thought that that it was it was just kind of, and then the whole rest of the DMG. Um, and we show there's, you know, there's, there's rules about combat, combat and stuff, but so much of it is just about world building and, and not just world building and, um, and adventure building or, and things like that, but, but literally creating a scenario where you, you, you give your care, your player and the players and their characters an opportunity to, to start, you know, as at the, at the, at the lowest <clears throat> and potentially end at the highest, like, you know, all the way down to money exchange rates and, and just, everything and it was so thorough um in that regard um i mean drink every time you read the word milieu right and so but it was just this one little bitty section at the beginning about um you know how you can use your dice in different combinations to cover different probabilities to handle different things to basically address whatever might would come up that there's not a rule for um and and i and and so when I so something that I, I almost missed reading it through the first time because I didn't really understand or appreciate what he was talking about, um, and then you, know, you guys talk about the skill checks and I hear and I've read you know modern game systems and and I've heard heard people talk about them and and, and they have all these things and splats about it and here Gygax in a, not even a full page it was half of a page basically had taken care of it all not hand-waving it, but just, here you go. To come up with what you wish, and, and not only come up with what you wish, but here's some ideas for <clears throat> how you can do it, and, and then here's some math to support why it would work. It's just brilliant. And and so I've bought the five e-books, and I love them too, but I but part of the reason why I'm able to appreciate them is because I bought the one e-books and read them, and it, and it, and it really, it, it, the, the two... The two different uh, series, understanding one helps me understand the other more both ways. Like, <clears throat> I was able to appreciate 5e because I'd read 1e, but now, having read 5e, I really all that much more appreciate 1e, and, and, it, and it's just kind of funny how that works. Anyway, love your show. Hope you guys are doing well. Bye. Oh, cool. Thanks for the voicemail. Uh, yeah, the reprint covers are pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it, it, they reprinted the whole book for you. I mean, it doesn't look exactly the same as the old ones, but, hey, if you want a brand-new book, those are perfect. I know you have them all, Nick, right? Oh, heck, yeah. I got all three of the reprints plus, uh, it, you know, the nice added bonus of the reprints. 
is I know the Unearthed Arcana one. They put in the errata that was in Dragon Magazine for it. So yeah. So that's in there. And if your Unearthed Arcana is falling apart like mine is, <laughs> it's great just to have it for that. Definitely. And if you want to leave a voicemail, that'd be 570-865-4210, the hotline. Hotline. Where Nick is standing by in Castle Greyhawk. Yes. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Gelatinous cube. Look up. <laughs> is there okay. anything cool in it that you can get out? Uh, Besides, looks like a dead halfling. No. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Didn't know if there was any good loot. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. Ten electron pieces. Ha-ha. Oh, awesome. Obviously written by Gygax because there's electron pieces here. Yes. You know what, Nick? Keep that for your salary, okay? Cool. All right. Excellent. So we got a couple emails, and if you want to write to us, you can go right to our site, uh, rfipodcast.com, and contact, contact, uh, click on contact us. Not contact, contact us. That's kind of weird. And um, send us an email, or you can send it to rfistaff at gmail.com. First email comes in titled, Nick is right. (laughs) It says, the one monk is a martial artist, not Friar Tuck. Clerks, clerks, clerics should be limited to weapons permitted by their religion, even if they are not blunt. Keep up the great show, J.V. West. Thank you. Thank you very much, JV. Yeah. Uh, and so, appar- apparently, Nick has taken to writing under pseudonyms. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. No, that was not me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I paid that person well for that review. <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Next one email comes from Alex W., and he said he's mostly a second edition player who's recently uh, got into the first edition uh, activity a few years ago via the OSR activity. He finds that buying, finding and buying the old 1E modules and really enjoys listening to our shows. He was wondering if we can cover the L series of modules. L series, that's... Um, Isn't that uh, Secret of the... Secret yes. of Bone Hill. And uh, Assassin's and, Knot. Uh, Assassin's Knot. Yeah. That's the Lindor Isle series. Yeah. So... Yeah, we can... And I do... Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, definitely. And um, let's see here. Last email comes in from DM Craney, and he basically is talking about his love of the game, and he's been playing uh, since he was 12 years old. And uh, he has played other editions but didn't find the excitement in other editions. And he actually has a current campaign going on, and he'd like to send some campaign journals or give us a link so we could take a look at it. Uh, for Keep of the Borderlands, his playthrough with his group. Uh, maybe cool. send us a link so we can, the entire audience can read it as well. We don't mind. Definitely send us a link so we can read it and share it with the audience. Sure, absolutely. And that's uh, it for the email bag this week. Uh, anyone have any comments? No? No, I can think of it. Everything's really good coming in. Just keep the voicemails and emails. And if you could do stars for us, keep those coming too. Definitely head up on iTunes and give us a review. Uh, tell us what you think, and Nick will read it out loud. Yep. Good or ill. So uh, let's head into Tail Manners. 
typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I've spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, folks. Uh, table manners this week. We are going to cover basically how to dungeon master for all of our stuff this week in table manners and beyond in the show. And if maybe if you're a first, uh, you know, first time DM, you know, maybe you've been playing for a long time and you really want to get on the other side of the DM screen, or maybe it's your first time playing D and D, or maybe you're just a long time veteran. You might pick up some good tips here. So, we will uh, go over that, how, how how to DM a game and what you should do, maybe some things you shouldn't do. So um, we'll have kind of a round table about this. And I guess we'll start it off with, you know, prepping for the game night or day, <laughs> but yeah. prepping for the game. So what things you can do to prep for it. And to kind of start things off here, I, I put down three things that I – for, for me, that over the years that worked for me, number one for me is know the rules you will use. Yeah. So, if, and I put you will use, doesn't necessarily mean you know all the rules. Right. But, you know, the rules that you know you're going to use in the game that they're probably getting most common. And that some of these obviously combat, uh, how saving throws work, uh, thieving abilities, um, things of that nature. So that's my number one thing with knowing how, you know, knowing the rules that you're going to use there. And I guess a kind of a addendum to that is also before the game, let your players know before the game starts, which rules you're going to use. And I think that's going to kind of play into our next segment is, you know, which rule uh, about the rule section and DM rules there. So, if I can add into your uh, little section there of prepping uh, with your rules section, if you're prepping for, you know, your rules, like you said, I find it best that if I'm using a rule that I'm unfamiliar with or something I'm going to have to reference again, go to Walmart and buy those little flag post-its. There's, you can get like a, mm-hmm. these little tiny slither things for like a dollar. Oh, yeah, like the mini post-it notes, basically. Yeah, yeah they're like maybe like an inch wide and uh, mm-hmm. two inches long, like a little flag for like when you sign. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah, they sell them for like a buck and a pack, and there's like maybe like a hundred something in there. Mm-hmm. I do that with the books sometimes if I want to look up something real quick, like a spell or something. I'll just slap that on the page, close the book, and then if I'm needed during the game, boom, pull open that little color tab that I mark the uh, rule for. So that's a good way of doing that before your game. Right. Yeah, I actually those ha- tabs. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a player's handbook that I marked up with that that has the section for character creation, the races, the yeah. equipment, mm-hmm. the spells, everything's just lined up. So it's like, okay, I need to find a spell. Here it is. I need to find this about this race. It's right there. It's mm-hmm. so convenient. I've seen those books. Like I found a second edition book that was marked up with those old school uh, tab things that you would put your little notes on and everything. Right. Yeah. I don't like the perma ones. I like to just to move my little tabs around that will make, put a mark on the page or anything. I guess I'm kind of, yeah, like yeah, the one the one I have is a perma one, but it's also an a, a older beat up copy, so it's not like I was ruining anything that was pristine anyway. True. So mm-hmm. when, when you have four like copies those. of the book, it's you can do that. <laughs> yeah, I like those tabs though, because like you said, Vince, 
you can reuse them. Yeah. They won't damage the paper that they're on. And also on the tab, you can write in pen, you know, what that little section is you marked off. So like you say, okay, this is my section for in the monster mail for Beholder, which might come up this tonight's game. So yep. <laughs> here's all the stuff, you know, I got Beholder bookmarked right there. Or, or, or you would do it in pencil so you can reuse it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are nice. Yeah, that's a great handy little thing. I never even thought of that. But I'm like, that could uh, come in a little handy for anybody. Yeah, it so. was something I picked up a couple years ago when I saw one of my other DMs when we he had a uh, he had his book out, and I was just like, oh, that's not a bad idea using those little post-it flags. I never thought, mm-hmm. I, duh, I've seen them like every day at Walmart, but anyway. Yeah, also uh, kind of going along with that, I guess if you know if, if you have any some sort of uh, Know, special rules that you're going to use in the game, or um, you know, like 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 well, here's one that always comes up is uh, like critical hits or fumbles. It's like maybe you've come up with your own tables for that. You could put that on, you print out a sheet of paper and put it right on your your DM screen right there, or put on a three by five card or something like that. Anything you can put notes on, that'll help you as a DM do it. I mean, whichever is best for you. I think that's a good way to, to prep for your game if. You need that sort of thing. And if, if so. the game is at your house, it doesn't have to be, but if it is at your house and you're hosting, it's a good mm-hmm. idea, like the a couple hours before or the night before, prepare the area, clean it up, mm-hmm. get that stuff ready. So when it's time to play the game, everyone just sits down. Hey, how you doing? Great. What are we going to do for food? Blah, blah, blah. Bun, play. Done. Yep. It's all right there. Makes, yeah, exactly. You should have everything that you need as the basic stuff, like you said, as a DM. You know, have blank sheets of paper. Uh, either like writing paper and or graph paper. Have uh, have make sure you got your dice out. I mean, might sound stupid, but you know what? I've I've gone to my game night one time and I forgot to bring my damn dice. <laughs> Boy, did I feel silly. <laughs> and um, gosh, what else? Just some of the basics. Make sure you have something to write with. Makes I like we all like using pencils. And I don't like to use pen because it's permanent. But I, we're all like. You know, bring a pack of mechanical pencils with you uh, to the game. That always helps. So all those little things. Sometimes you don't you don't you know think about until like the last minute. So get the books. So I guess that. What's that? Get the books you need ready to go, marked off. Get whatever mm-hmm. you're prepping for the adventure written out on you know a notepad or jot notes down with bullet points of what you're going to do during your adventure that night. Always overcompensate for what you're going to do just in case. Yeah. Don't undercompensate. Like, you know, think two things would be enough. If if you think, I, I go by this rule. I think three things will be enough in a four-hour session. I always put four more on top of that just in case. Right. Yeah, because you never know where the game's going to take you. That's true. Right. You never so that's what, get through. You may only get through two things, you because know, you know they like to fool around and talk. So you never know. Mm-hmm. Right? I yeah, I also go around and will make photocopies of any charts that I may need, like the hit charts. And if I don't have a DM screen, uh, I will also go through. If I'm using a module, just photocopy out like the stat blocks, so that way I don't have to flip and reference them or spells or mm-hmm. or maps. So that way I'm not. Okay, and it was on page twenty of the module. It says, and that way it gives you have a better flow. Anything that could will reduce the amount of time it takes flipping through pages to find something is what you should do. You know, another little good tip I I, I learned from one of my games locally here is uh, I give everybody those clear 
binder sheets that you could slip papers into for a notebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I give everybody one of those to slip their character in, and I give them a dry erase marker so they can mark up their character sheet without actually marking their character sheet up. Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, some people in my group do that too. So if you get hit points, you can just write down minus seven yeah. and you know, minus three. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't affect your character sheet. Your character sheet doesn't get all grimy and everything. Right. Right. Yeah, and if you want something a little more dirt that'll hold up over time, if you get the uh, plastic holders for like eight by tens that are basically glorified giant hard card sleeves, yeah. you can dry erase on those as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's more expensive route, but yes. Right, yeah, but you buy one, you won't have to worry about it ever again. True. Too, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's pretty cool, but a good way to start off things. So, like, going from knowing your rules that you're going to use and play, and also being courteous letting the players know, okay, these are the rules we're going to be using. So, right. And how to prep and prep everything like we talked about, the little basic things. But I... Um, number two on my list is read the adventure and read it again uh, and again. <laughs> yep. So coming to so, do you pick a module or do you do homebrew for your prep? And- I, I guess it could go either way. What I'm saying is like you should be familiar with the adventure. You know, you should be familiar with everything that you know you written down. You wrote down for something that you did homemade. Or if you're using a free published adventure, a module, then you know you should be as familiar with everything in that module as you can. So um, that takes away a, that should take at least for me that works. So so when uh, um, there won't be any surprises coming up in the game that you might so you didn't forget something in the adventure. Uh, I just like to try to know as much as I can before I get into it for, so I won't feel like I'm delaying stuff in the game trying to look things up. Yeah, I, I found that um, for new people that are learning to DM for the first time, grab a module from the OSR community, not like one of the original modules. Mm-hmm. The original modules, while they're great, were written a little bit more for the person that's more... Uh, that's used to the the game then because a lot of new DMs come into first edition looking at rules back then the way they were written, kind yeah. of get their head all screwed up because of the way the guy Gaxian writing, which we're, we we mm-hmm. but newer people are like huh, so a lot of the new OSR creation modules are kind of like written so you can do it step by step for new DMs. Yeah, that's true. I I think as far as like uh, some of the original stuff. Uh, I know Keep on the Borderlands is still pretty basic if you're talking pre-published modules for, like, a beginner. But, you know, what if you're DMing later on for, uh, you know, for more experienced players and they've gone up in levels? I mean, yeah, some of those, some of the stuff can be, you know, where you read it can be pretty daunting, kind of complicated. So, uh, let's see, uh, Pace Center Games has some great modules. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Expeditious Retreat Press does them as well. Uh, Lesser Gnome, a great mm. he uh, just he just put out a new module. I'm sorry, the name just slipped my mind uh, right now. Death and Taxes. What's that? Was it Death and Taxes? No, no, he just has a new module. Coming oh no, out. module. No, I was thinking of the setting. Yeah, I slipped my mind and it's downstairs. I can't go get it at the moment. <laughs> sorry about that, Zach. He's going to kill me. <laughs> 
So yeah, just uh, go around. You can actually just do a Google search or go to RPG Now and look for OSR. And then you'll even be yeah. able to find free ones as well. That is... Oh yeah, there's a lot of good free stuff out there. Oh my goodness. Right. You should also uh, decide how many people you want to have at your table because uh, the number of players can make or break the game, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Too many players, too much for a new DM, and sometimes experienced DMs will crack under that pressure too. Right. Yeah, I think it, that when you talk about um, the number of players, I think sometimes, I guess it comes down to personal preference. Yeah. And that comes over time, you know. I mean, you, if you're starting out as a DM, maybe you, you, you don't know how many people you can handle in your game. So that's, I know for me, I like to have a group of six to eight people. That's, that's ideal for me. Yeah. For, for D&D, yeah. you know, for, for another type of game, you know, you might be want to have a smaller group. I know, for example, like for Call of Cthulhu, works really good for a smaller group, even solo. So it all depends on what you're playing. Matt, how big... If we're talking... Yeah, big... my, my, my group is we, we're, we float between five to six players and one GM. Does that work mm-hmm. with, uh, say, for Turtles, for example? Yeah, it works with pretty much any system we've played. Okay, because that's kind of the sweet spot. That four to six, it's mm-hmm. there's very few systems that'll break by having that amount. It's I, when you I, get mm-hmm. too many players, especially if it's a combat in- intense system like Turtles, where there's a lot of back and forth rolls. You could get tied up and be doing a lot of nothing for a while if there's a lot of players. Well, or I, I, aces I, and eights is even worse for that. Oh, definitely. Uh, I noticed like games like Marvel and DC Heroes and uh, Top Secret, for example, less players. It seems to be more of a flowing, solid game than having a lot more players in it. That's just my observance of games. Yeah, I, don't know yeah, I think you're right on Marvel. It's like seems like the more the be- merrier. <laughs> well, I was saying the less the merrier yeah. for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Less is more. Yes, less is more. <laughs> I, I think it also with Marvel depends on. What what supplements are you using? Because that Ultimate Powers book really changes things a lot. I know that yeah, Thacko's Hammer Group was doing a, uh, their own game on Monday night, and they were doing Marvel with the Ultimate Powers book, and I'm like, because uh, Glenn was telling me about it, DM Glenn, and he was like, uh-oh, be ready, because that book breaks the game. Yes, it does. <laughs> and You're was, not careful. I know I got a copy right here on my shelf. <laughs> That book was hard to find at one point, the Ultimate Powers book, and now you can like find it when you like throw a rock inside the store. I mean, I could find three books yeah. once now. Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, so another thing you should worry about other than players at the table is snacks. I, yeah. I know it sounds snacks. stupid and silly, but it's going to happen. You're going to sit there for a time, and people are going to get hungry, right. or they're going to get mm-hmm. thirsty, and then it's going to be like, there's no snacks at the table, and someone's going to say to you, uh, do you have anything to drink? And then you have to say, well, no or yes. So either have it at the table or don't have it at the table. Right. Or tell everybody, hey, everybody, uh, please bring a bottle of soda for yourself or a snack for yourself. You know, I'm cheap. I'm not buying anything for the group. <laughs> right. Right. I, I think that's almost – I think it's pretty common with a lot of groups is everybody will bring their own stuff. It's almost, it's almost a given now when you have game night. At least I know from my – my my players, and also when I play, it's like one of the things I do is I have some snacks for myself. Everybody likes to bring those up, but also there's, you know, we all, I guess, 
I'm, there's a few people in our group that like to share a whole bunch of stuff. Like uh, I know, uh, like Sherry in our group, she likes to bring the mini Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. So bring like two bags of those, and we'll all just like get into those for like our, our for our, like our dessert. Everybody brings like a meal, not just beyond snacks. I think you also talking about. We also make it very sociable. It's like we're all going to have like a like a since we play late, we're going to have like a dinner break. We're all going to like, I don't know, get Taco Bell or Burger King or order out pizza or something like yeah. that. Well, so way I was brought up because families and everything, whenever you go to someone else's house, it's always polite to bring some type of snack or whatever. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. whenever I game, I used to always bring like two bags of chips or two bottles mm-hmm. of soda. And uh, like Nick was saying, it is a good idea to discuss what you want to do. Do we want to have a dinner break for an hour or do we want to order pizza or everyone just do their own thing, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah, and also, it's also kind of cool. Uh, maybe you have some things that, you know, you'll mix it up a little. Like, I think I've talked about on the show, every November around uh, Thanksgiving, we have our our game night in November. It's a potluck. Everybody brings, like, a, a favorite dish they like, they like to make, and we make just a big sort of event out of it. Yeah. A nice social night. It's really fun. Everybody gets so full. <laughs> I can't tell you, man. I love. I, this is where I was introduced to Bacon Explosion. <laughs> if you ever had that before, yeah. it's awesome. Oh, Bacon Explosion! It's like, oh my gosh. When I was so in, good. When I was in Pennsylvania, one of the uh, when I used to go over to my friend's house, we used to always just drop him like five or ten bucks, and then he would have like this big smorgasbord on the grill, and he would cook hamburgers, mm-hmm. hot dogs sausages, whatever, like steaks, he would just cook it with the money we gave him. So you can always do that as well. Oh, yeah, we do that too. Like uh, like in our spring game or some, maybe sometime this summer, we do like a cookout. We'll get buy some brats, get some burgers and hot dogs. He did, oh, yeah. He did it in the winter, Nick. He didn't care. He wanted to barbecue that badly. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, well, you know what? You said he was in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we do the same thing in Ohio. In fact, what I'm going to do for dinner tonight, we're going to grill some grill some burgers, even though it's like maybe, well, it's a thaw, 45 degrees that we're thawing out right now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful 66 degrees here in Texas. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we got a nice brisk 56 here in Cincinnati. Aww. I hate you, too. <laughs> right next to WKRP? Yes. Uh, if you ever wonder, wonder became of me. Yes. Uh, so last so snacks. Yeah. Last thing on your list you're gonna have to worry about as a DM is probably props, tokens, things like that, where you can get money mm-hmm. from. Uh, my biggest, biggest plug. I've always go to YouTube and look up DM Scotty. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called the Dungeon Master Assistant. I think it's called. Yeah. And Google through that DM Scotty, and put him in the show notes for everybody because he has some great videos. He was on our show a while back, too, uh, if you weren't familiar with it. I forgot what number, but uh, he actually takes common things like cardboard around the house and makes a DM, a really cool, like, 3D DM map out of things. It's really cool. He does just a glue gun, wow. paint, some cardboard, and he makes some really cool stuff. Scotty's such a nice guy, too, and he'll... He's like the MacGyver of DMs. And yeah, DM's craft. Thank you, Matt. DM's craft. Uh, but I know the guy's name is Gold. He goes by DM Scotty. Uh, Wait. Great guy. He was in issue 98, in fact, if you want to go back. Okay. To Thanks to Matt's uh, quick Google foo. Ooh. Found DM Scotty for us. Yes. Good old Matt. 
Yes, the, the joys of my massive show note archive at my that fingertips. You can't share with anyone because only you could decipher it. Yes, I use OneNote, but an old version of OneNote. So, and plus, just don't ask me about anything prior to issue 29. Uh, <laughs> the years before Matt. Yes. And you know, when you talk about, like, you know, like props and stuff, Vince. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I just kind of think about is um, for using props or, you know, some sort of visual aid for the game, I I think for, like, a beginning DM, you probably don't want to do that because you got to really just focus on, like, what the adventure is about. I, I think for more experienced DMs, is something you want to get in with, at least in my opinion. Well, it, it all depends on if you like to build and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. if you just... Yeah, if that's something up your alley, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's fine if you just have one of those, you know, um, Chessex uh, draw wet, wet erase mats or something on your table. Right, and just throw up mm-hmm. some miniatures or something just so they have a little bit of a visual representation. And, I mean, it really also depends on your players, too. Are your players new players? Are they experienced players? If they're a well, new player, perhaps the visual aids will actually help them get into the game and better understand what is going on. Yeah. So kind of know who you're running for. Yeah. One of the things that's kind of taken off past in the past few years I've seen is the uh, custom uh, gaming tables. Yeah, yeah. If if you've seen at you know Gen Con and Origins, I know I see them every year at Origins. Yeah, and um, I forget the name of the the company, but Geek they Sheet. make uh, there you go, Geek Sheet. Thank you, and they actually over for the past I think three maybe four years they've Ran that out like a whole area near the big barn, too, if everybody knows what I'm talking about. And you can rent time to use their gaming tables just to kind of see how they're like. So if anything, if not to purchase one, because I know they can be kind of expensive. And there's also a long waiting period, too. Yes. At least give you ideas about if you want to design your own. Yeah. So... Because I, I know my friend Jeff, he designed his new gaming table a few years ago, and he got a few ideas from them, and it works out great. In fact, the t- the tabletop, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the tabletop, what he did is he has, um, what is it, uh, it's a chalkboard paint, and he painted the top of it, and he put down a one-inch grid on the top of the table. So that's whenever we have to use that to map things out, all you got to do is get your chalk out. You already got your one-inch square grid, and you just do it right there on the table. You don't have to worry about... Uh, there was a, a really cool table I saw online. It was on Facebook uh, that someone made a gaming table. They had this big table, and then about 12 inches above the table, or maybe it was a little bit higher than that, he had another table. So hmm. underneath, the, it was kind of indented a little bit, so the little the, the table in the middle was a little bit smaller but higher up. And mm-hmm. on the bottom, normal table level was where you had your character sheet, your drink, your dice. And above right. it was like the mat where you had your figures. And they had these little poles, and they were pushing the things back and forth. It was a oh, wow. Cool but, yeah, I was like, that's really cool. I know another thing that's kind of taken off in the past just recently is using uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, computer projectors yeah. and putting them down like on a table. Uh, you can find those, I guess, pretty inexpensive now. 
and uh, you can mount them up on your ceiling and point it towards the bottom of your table, and you can. I don't know how you would do it as far as your 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 dungeon or however you're going to do it, but there's got to be some ways where you don't have to reveal everything when you see it. But that's a, I love that idea too. I'd love to try that out sometime. Yeah, at well, that point you could use like the uh, D20 Pro and some of the uh, online stuff they have, yeah. and mm-hmm. you just pump it through what a player would see. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. DM Corey of Thacko's Hammer, he does that. Yeah. Uh, uses his he, one of those overhead projectors we used to have back in the day at school. Remember those things? Mm-hmm. He, oh, yeah. He puts the map on there and projects it onto the table. So all everyone has to do is move on the table. Like that's how they do move their characters around. And mm-hmm. so, so it wouldn't reveal. He has these little special cutouts on it so he can hide things. Like for huh, the cool. or Yeah, it's kind of interesting how he was explaining it to me one night. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. Um, so let's head. I think that might wrap that up on the yeah prepping, huh? Yeah, let's go into DM rules and talk about uh, rules and rules and what to use. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And now we're going to talk in DM rules about the rules. When you're prepping, yes, rules. That's funny how you said that. I, DM rules talk about the rules. Yes, in DM rules, we're talking about rules because rules rule. But the question is, what rules do you rule with? Should we house rule? Should we use rules as written? A hodgepodge of both? With, when it comes to the rules, first off, figure out... I've, and for me, when it comes to prep, who am I running this game for? If you're running it for a new group, you don't want... I would say you avoid some of the more complex and laborious rules of the game to keep it moving and keep the game flowing so that way the players get sucked in and enjoy it. And then you can add the complexity. Certain things like oh, the overbelly, overbearing grappling pummeling rules probably mm-hmm. wouldn't use for first-time players. Another one I, that comes, leaps to mind is I, uh, psionics. Probably want to throw those at new players. No. It, it's best to, to just say if you're going to do house rules or just take the book as written, like rules yeah. as raw, as they call it. Decide right off the bat, are you going to use this rule or not use this rule? Write it on a piece of paper and have everybody take a look at it so, or at least tell everybody what you're doing. So I say, I'm not going to break this rule. So if this comes up, sorry, I'm not using it. Right. And because it all depends. Some people like that. I want the rules as written. We will do everything, even if it's laborious. Yeah. Most Mm -hmm. people aren't like that and don't want that. They just want to have fun when they game. So I tend to err towards the side of keeping the game moving. And if I'm unclear of a rule Mm -hmm. or that corner case comes up, if it's going to take me too long to figure out the rules as written, I'll just come up with a DM fiat and go with it and keep the game moving. I would rather right. make a judgment call and not follow the rules as written and have everyone have a good time as opposed to spending 15 minutes trying to decipher some esoteric rule. You, you and, have to, 
figure that out as you go along as a DM. New DMs are going to yeah. have a hard time doing that. And you have to kind of look at the group and decide, okay, we're at a crucial point. People are having fun. They're laughing. The combat's flying. Crap, there's a rule. All right, I need to make a decision. You know, you, you, you don't know as a new DM. It's going to take you 20 minutes to look something up, and that'll kill the mood. So Right. That's where doing the prep, skimming, like, the rule books and knowing – this rule's a little complicated. I should probably stay away from this if possible. Just because cer- certain yeah. things, especially in the DMG, as you flip through it, you could re- just read and be like, this is a little too involved for the type of game I'm going for. Yeah. So that's part of the prep, in my opinion, is figuring out what rules should be ignored for the better play experience. Also- oh, I think you're absolutely right on that. And one of the things that you can do to help avoid some of those things before the game starts, you know, maybe a week or so before, one thing I like to do is I drop like maybe, depending on how long it is, I drop a a, doc, a Word document on my computer and I'll say, and I'll have in there, okay, this is the campaign. These are the rules that we're going to use. Here's maybe a couple uh, house rule stuff that I'm going to use, and this is what we're allowed and everything. And I email that to everybody in my group. So there's no question on, you know, what rules we're going to have. Everybody's on the same page. Right. I'm a big fan of, like, the session zero where everyone sits around at the table and makes their characters as a group. And Mm -hmm. you can work out that sort of stuff at session zero as long as you've put in the prep to determine these are the problem areas of the rules that I kind of don't want to deal with. A lot of people hate that session zero, and I understand it's a pain because you just sit there and make characters. Sometimes making characters is no fun. Well, with my group, we riff off each other, and it's almost collaborative when it comes to background. Like someone will come up with an idea, then they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know you because of this. That's fun. Yes, that's fun. Right. So our session zero is also character background creation as well. So, And we know each other well enough so we can riff off each other. And next thing you know, we actually have a cohesive group that's an actual real party. And we don't have to have the convoluted, you are all sitting in a tavern when an old man walks in. Right. <gasps> that's the, yeah, that's session zero is where you find out how everybody's interrelated, how – they know each other. The last couple session zeros I've been to, people, it's just like 30 minutes of complete utter silence of people rolling up characters and asking, like, and then maybe asking the DM a question. And that's it. And then, I, like, last couple times, I was like, well, maybe we should do a background together, guys, you know, so we know each other. And people will just sit there silently. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then for the last, for the, when I was running the Ravenloft game, we actually even did a, a prequel. A little prelude, just a little – I knew what town they were going to start in. We already knew how they were going to get there, but we decided just to give them a little uh, – it's been a while since some of them have played 1E and some of them had it. So we'll just do – you guys are traveling to this city. And then they got in a little battle with some goblins, and they got to experience combat. But it was real quick, nothing major, nothing that was even going to threaten them. But let them roll a little bit of dice and see how the mechanics worked as well. They uh, encourage that a lot, and uh, the White Wolf games encourage that quite a bit, having that prelude session with players. So uh, that's a that's a good idea. Take a look at those books. They have some great examples in there what you can do. Right, and also don't feel like you shouldn't 
look at other uh, Game Master books for other role-playing yeah. game systems because sometimes you can find some really good theoretical ideas for running games in other books. Like the 4E DMG actually had a good section on how to run a game. But, yeah, the, the Pathfinder GM book is one of my staples for a book because it has great charts, great uh, uh, things you can look up to run games. So it's actually a really good book. Right. Or if you want to read Gary's thoughts on how to run a game, you can get his book, The Master of the Game, that where he wrote an entire book on just DMing and his theory behind it. By him or was it by him? It was in 1989. Must be uh, very Gygaxian written. Yes, it is. So if you want to experience Gygaxian game mastery theory at its finest, get that book. He also wrote one for being a player as well, whose name is. Oh, I'm going to put that on my birthday list. Yeah, I found a copy at Half Price Books for like five bucks. If you pull it up on Amazon, they're, yeah. they're, it's like used copies are 30 bucks. It's, oh, my goodness. Mac, include those links in the show notes so people can at least see what it looks like. Yeah. And then we'll just uh, so you can just see what the book looks like, and then you can go grab it at your local bookstore, or you can go try to find it in half price books. Yeah. So well, here's a question I have for you guys. So you know, you establish what rules you're going to use, and um, everybody's you know you know what rules you're going to use out of the book. Maybe some house rules, all that stuff. Well, what if you have a person or you know a couple of people in your group that I don't know. They just don't play well with others. They seem to be a bit disruptive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like as a DM, what do you do about that? Well, I had uh, a couple people in my group last year that were kind of disruptive, and they we had a couple girls in the group, and they were kind of creeped out by one of the guys because he was kind of disruptive and he was creepy, like always leering at her and. Leaning in, and you know, and he's. I guess she. I guess he smelled. I don't know. I didn't smell anything on the guy, but whatever. I guess when you know you don't like somebody, you kind of make up stuff sometimes, or things materialize just to make the situation a little more comfortable for yourself. I'm not saying she was lying, but he was very disruptive, and he was the type of guy that also cheated as well. Ooh. Yeah, he he changed his alignment a couple times and then he changed his stats a bunch of times when I wasn't watching and I finally called him out on it. I said you do it again and then finally a third time he did it I was like dude I pulled him to the side and I was like dude you know what you just need to go pack up your your stuff <laughs> and and hit the road uh, no one I mean the group says you're disruptive and annoying and please leave <laughs> and he left that was the end of him oh wow and that's a stranger like, you know, just someone you came with. If it's a good friend and he's disruptive, I would say take him to the side and be like, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Never right. do it during the game or unless you have to. I mean, if it's so disruptive during the game that it's ruining everyone's experience, you could be like, dude, what the hell's the matter with you tonight? And then, you know, go from there. But it's going to kind of be embarrassing. So I, I always suggest to the side. Right. It's best to you handle know, I... those out of game uh, behavior issues out of game. So, because then you get into the social skills of gamers, and if they're being disruptive, perhaps that's not their strong point. So, it takes a little bit of tact dealing with it. I'm kind of fortunate in that I've never actually had to deal with that. My, Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I've heard horror stories, though. 
Yeah, I in yeah, I think you got two different environments. You got the one that's either at a game store at a or at a convention. And you have another situation where you're at you're with a bunch of familiar friends and you're in a comfortable a relatively comfortable setting environment of somebody's home, you know? And I, I, at least I know, I don't think I've ever had a situation in, with my regular group where someone was like you know, super disruptive that we had to like take them aside. Usually when someone's being kind of jerky, everybody tells them, hey, you know, knock it off, you know? <laughs> don't be a jerk. So, but like when it comes to convention, I've seen it. I think we all have. Yeah. Or you get, you know, there's that one guy, you know, he just seems to be pushing everybody's buttons and he's, and he's just not, you know, he's really bringing the group down and, you know, that's a hard one. That's, that's a <gasps> difficult situation to deal with. Yeah. It happens and uh, you have to deal with it. Yeah. And I think, uh, the only time I've, I actually saw one situation where the person was so disruptive. They had to get the convention staff and escort them out of the building. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it does. So, mm. about lastly here on the list, uh, what do you do as a DM? At, well, I'll throw this one to you, Nick, first, because uh, you like to do a lot of pre-written uh, modules and things like that, I've noticed, over the years. Yeah, I've kind of gotten away from that, but mostly, yeah. What do you do as you read it out, and the players are supposed to go according to the module, root A, but instead they pull a 360 and go root B on you. What do you do in those situations? Well, luckily, because my group does that all the time, <laughs> They they like to break the adventure. It's it's their mo. <laughs> I'm used to it by now. So, but that's a good question. Maybe you have a or you did not anticipate. Well, that as a DM, that's something you have to just you just got to go with the best of it. You know, sometimes you might just oh my god have to wing it. You know, just be confident of your abilities and you might. Just take it as it comes, and that's okay. I mean, if they want to go, they want to go to Route B instead of Route A. Okay, fine. <laughs> that's what they're gonna do. All the characters might die, but hey, <laughs> why stop them? You if can, that's where they want to go. You can always move things around your adventure and somehow get the players back on track to where they need to go. Uh, sure. I've always, like, perfect example is you, you design a dungeon and you say you have 35 rooms in your dungeon for the night. And mm -hmm. you put the big bad in number 35 halfway across the dungeon thinking, okay, this is perfect. Somehow mm -hmm. the players, you didn't think about this, but the players take a left, a right, a left, a right, or whatever, and boom, they get to door number 35 within the first hour of the game. And you're like, oh, crap. Now what am now I doing? What? <laughs> Guess what? Move the big bed from room 35 to another room. Who says the big bed yeah. is just going to be sitting there waiting in 35? Maybe he. That's true because they don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you could say if you have to logically put it in your head. Well, maybe he left the room to go check on something in another room because you have, I don't know, for example, uh, people hidden in slave cells somewhere and he's, you know, wants to go see how his sacrifices are. Maybe he went to go check on them. 
Maybe he left his lair alone. So you can always move the big bat around. Mm-hmm. And some people might might poo-poo that idea uh, of his they're thinking, well, you know, the DM wrote it that way or whatever. It should be there. You know, they'll make up some excuse like that from, from listening to this. I know that. I know we're going to hear that. Uh, no. But the, the DM's not cheating. It's not. <laughs> it's not cheating. The, the DM is not cheating. He's not cheating the players either. Right. It's like people are like, well, why is there like this monster next to this monster in this room? Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, those, sometimes those monsters open the door and start walking, Okay. You have to, when it comes to that sort of stuff, are you trying to beat D&D or are you trying to have an enjoyable role-playing game experience? If you're trying to beat D&D, then, yeah, moving the big bad because they got to it too quick is not a good idea. Like tournament modules. If you're running a tournament module and doing the scoring, you don't do that. However... that's a different situation. Right, exactly. Because... Home game and or your your local game and you plan to you know for four hours of entertainment and then they get it in the first hour, just move it around. Who cares? They're not right. No. Right. Yeah, yeah. The players don't know because it's your adventure. If you want to mix it up uh, around a little, I mean, because some like you like we're talking about here, they're going to do something unexpected. Well, then you have to do something expected as a DM then. <laughs> That's why you control the world. That's why you have a DM mm-hmm. screen, and that's why you do what you do. And, and it's also a good idea, I, and this has happened to me several times in my regular home game, where they're, my, my players are going to do something, and I have to think about and I'm like, it's something that's, I don't want to say disruptive, but it's a very unorthodox Thing that might be happening or they're going to be doing something that's kind of crucial yeah. that I didn't expect. Um, it's always okay for a DM to say, okay, I need a few minutes to think about this, what you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, take a time out, you know, take a couple minutes, however you want to take it. It's like, okay, as a DM, how am I going to handle this situation when they do this? You know, that's you shouldn't just, yeah, perfect. take your time with it. Perfect time that if you have smokers in your group to say, you know what, let's take five minutes for a smoke break and then let them go yep. outside and smoke. You sit there and go, oh, crap, oh, crap, what am I need to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we've all been there. Yeah. And <laughs> like, usually oh my God. <laughs> and usually, if they're like my group, they'll talk about it for about five or ten minutes before they actually get around to doing it. So start mm-hmm. using that time once they tip where they're kind of leaning towards to yeah. start thinking of plan B. And sometimes they'll give you a plan B through what they think will happen if they do this. There's nothing yeah. wrong with what taking a player's idea when they're just sitting around discussing what they think could happen and being like, you know, that's a good idea. I'm going to use it. Yeah. The best DM is the best DM that presents the situation and remains quiet until the players decide what they want to do. Yep. Yep. Just sit Exactly up. right. Just sit back and observe, listen to what they say, because it may spark an idea in your head or it may tell you, help you turn the situation around in your head. You just mm-hmm. That's what I do. Sit back, relax, watch them play. Yep, because yep. oftentimes the players will fix the game themselves without even knowing it. Yes. Or the opposite way, the players might get themselves deeper into a situation that they can't get out. Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> they just talked themselves into something really bad. And I'm like, okay. 
All right. So uh, let's head into some creature feature now. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature Feature Theater. And now we're in creature feature, and we'll talk about. Oh, speaking of creatures, oh, hold on, hold on, in the castle here. Oh yeah, sorry about that wandering monster there. Tucker's cobalt. Oh. Are okay, you in, are you safe? Are you in a secure location? Shut up. Yes, I am. I am in now. Okay. Four twenty-two, I think. Fourth level, Castle Greyhawk. Shut the door. I'm good. Okay. Okay. Don't forget to spike spike the door so nobody can. Oh, I'm spiking it right now. All right. Good. All right. Now that Nick is secure, we can now talk about the creatures as opposed to having them wander into the segment. Yes. (laughs) Okay. With creatures, first off, if you know you're going to be using monsters when you're prepping your game, go ahead and have their stat blocks handy. Make photocopies, write down the essentials, have it all handy so that way you're not flipping through the monster manual. Yeah, on all, an index card or a printout, like you said. or Right, handwritten. just keep the book flipping to a minimum. Same with, like, their treasure loot. Go ahead and pre-generate that just in case the players happen to decide to loot their stuff because you know they will. Pre-generate it. That way also if when rolling that random magic item and you realize, oh, wait, I don't want them to have that because that'll break the game. We'll talk more about that in our next segment. But that way you can fix those sorts of things as well. Oh, yeah. And also, uh, if you pick creatures, pre-generate their hit points as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Instead of sitting there at the last minute going, oh, crap, what am I going to do? Oh, okay, we'll make it 12. Just pre-generate all the hit points you need for for all the creatures. Have it on the card Mm -hmm. next to it in parentheses or something. Or yeah, and if if you forgot to put the hit points down, just use the max hit points available. That's what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Also, depending on how you do your experience, pre-generate the experience. Yeah, because (laughs) that is a convoluted (laughs) formula. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're doing the per. Experience points per hit point of the monster. Mm-hmm. So pre-generate. I have to say for what what second edition got right, they had all the XP for the monsters right there under the uh, you know the, the creature information. Right. Well, I always do my experience. I always say okay, and uh, you'll get experience next session. I, hmm. that's what okay. I, I usually do experience at the end of the session because I'm not the greatest yeah. at. Rip- keeping notes of like maybe role-playing things that they did that'll also get them uh, extra points i prefer canning that yeah. sort of stuff out when it's fresh in my mind so i yeah i have... do that too because i don't want to cheat anybody it's like i don't want to forget like from the previous sessions like how much experience points did we get like uh did somebody write it down <laughs> right because i didn't <laughs> yeah and also I'm terrible with math so yeah <laughs> And also with the creatures, don't feel bad if you need to fudge some stuff to keep the game moving when it comes to their stats. I've often, like, mm-hmm. if a battle's drawing out a little too long, not because, like, the monsters are beating the players, it's just because neither side can actually roll a hit, and this, what should have been a two-minute little quick combat's all of a sudden becoming, like, 
the Battle of Helm's Deep because no one can roll a hit. I'm going to start dropping some hit points off of those monsters, just shaving them off just to speed things up because sometimes there's times you want the game to get bogged down in an encounter. There's other times you don't. Also, sometimes maybe you've generated some monsters and um, you overshot your target when it comes to power level. And you right. didn't necessarily you don't want to TPK them because you you put the wrong monster in. At, so at that point, I'll start maybe shaving off some hit points. Maybe all of a sudden they're getting some mm-hmm. lucky hits in, but drop the AC a little bit just to keep again keep the gaming moving. And, and don't feel bad about as you get more experience and your players get more experience as your group that's growing together about changing stats around for creatures. Because, you know, everybody looks in all the books, no matter what you say. I mean, I remember the great Joe DM. (gasps) He used to, uh, because back then, back in the 80s, it was hard to get books. So he would not allow us to look at the monster manual. But, of course, we went out and bought our own. But he would never allow us to look at the monster manual. So when we bought our own, we knew what was this and what was that. So, uh in case your players do know, like, oh, that's definitely a kobold. He has an AC of this and that and uh, hit points of this and that range. You know, you can just change it all up. Why does it have to be standard of the book? Maybe he's wearing different armor. Maybe right. he has a different type of sword. Maybe he has a plus one sword. So Maybe it looks Maybe like a kobold, but it's not ability. a kobold. Yeah. Boy. So, yeah. Maybe that's one of the things I kind of took from, like, one of the things that Hackmaster did. You can. They had the uh, Monster Matrix book where you can basically give special abilities to, to monsters. Like, uh, for example, I had Hobgoblins. I rolled them up as uh, red, one-eyed Venusian Hobgoblins. Venusian meaning that they're like from the planet Venus. They're weirded out creatures. And they were red and they were one-eyed. But when you killed them, they would explode. <laughs> that was a bit of a you know twist on a monster. So. Yeah, you could easily go through the monster manual and find like a special ability of a monster and just tack it onto a different one. All of mm-hmm. a sudden, you the orcs have learned how to blink, so they're mm-hmm. just popping in and out, and just little things like that. You're not reinventing the wheel. You don't have to come up with complex new mechanics. Just steal from other monsters and add mm-hmm. it onto your the monster you're using. Right. So, yeah, just do that and uh, have a fun game with it. Don't worry about it too much. Just go with the flow. Right. That's right. Yeah, and then also for Monsters in Combat, I like having, like, a nice little chart. That way I can keep track of the player's hit points and the monster's hit points. So that way I don't accidentally kill a player if I didn't intend to. So that – it just – yeah, it, it it gives me the little uh, safety net of getting a little too hot and just okay. I've just kind of ruined the game when I didn't intend to. I try to. I'm one. I'm a DM that I try to avoid the random TPK. I like having my TPKs mm-hmm. actually have meaning behind them. I I may pummel the heck out of them to the point where the next encounter they are a TPK. But if they're dumb enough to keep adventuring after that, that's their own problem. <laughs> So one of the things I tend to do as a DM, because I, I, I guess, and, and this has happened to me quite a few times, is for a particular monster, 
and might have, you know, maybe multiple special abilities. And I'll forget to bring those into play during, like, into the game somehow in, in combat, for example. And I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot I had that ability. If I would have done that, <laughs> you know. So I guess in that case, when you're you're going to have those types of monsters have multiple special abilities, like, like the holders, for example. Be familiar with the monster. And, and, and you know what I like to do? I'll have the book right open to that page if, so I at least, if I forget, I can look right there and say, okay, it does this. So, yeah, don't um, don't try to stick everything up in your noggin. You know, the books are there for a reason. If you, if you know there's something that you're going to forget when it comes to combat for a monster, has multiple special abilities, you know what? Those little tabs that you talked about, Vince, those are good places for those monsters in the Monster Manual or the Fiend Folio. And Fiend Folio is notorious for monsters with multiple special abilities. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You may so, even want to... You know, earmark those pages. Yeah. You may even want to just scribble out a little bit of a strategy for the monster. What are they going to be doing? Mm-hmm. So, right. like the Beholder, it'll. you might say, it, first I will use will be this one. And then from this, mm-hmm. it'll go to... the this and then it'll hover up to this perch and then you can just write out a little bit of a strategy tactics guide for the monster as well so you already Mm -hmm. know this is what they will be doing right that helps too cool all right now let's head over to treasure chest you have opened the treasure chest you may choose an item All right, we're going to open up the treasure chest and see, well, we're just going to talk about how to plan the treasure. (laughs) As a DM, when you're creating that adventure, you got all the experience points figured out for your monsters, and you got all the encounters out, and you have all your charts ready. Now you got to figure out treasure. So how do you prep that game for the treasure? And one of the things I like to do, first thing, well, at least I'm thinking about, uh, at least it's obvious to me, is the level of the PCs is directly proportional to the amount of treasure they get for the most part. And that's, you know, for coin and magical. So I don't think you're going to be giving away vocal swords and a staff of the Magi to first level characters. That, <laughs> that wouldn't just, you know, that, that would break the, the whole campaign rather quickly. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Now, yeah, having <laughs> yeah, having those sort of like mat magic items would break the game. Just like if you just randomly rolled up deck of many things. Mm-hmm. Th- there's certain oh, I know. there's certain magic items that you should not find random. They should be placed for a specific purpose. You're not mm-hmm. going to randomly get a holy avenger either. So, and I think um, also. I guess it depends if it, if it's not a one-off game, if it's going to be a long campaign. Are, is there or an artifact, or are there artifacts going to be in, in the game at one point or another? And those things are not going to be random. You know that. I wouldn't have them randomly laying around. So, Right. That would be something like you would plan the whole campaign around. Yeah, especially considering also those artifacts, you get to customize those. They have their major powers and their minor powers and drawbacks. It's a, 
those put a little thought into should you decide mm-hmm. to use one. And that's a big if. I've right. only, I in my younger days I loved using them just because I loved all the goofy special powers. So I would throw in like the one that was an organ and just throw it in a random room to see if the players started oh, playing with it. Oh, Heward's Mystical Organ, I think it's called. Yeah, Magical just have organ. it sitting in a random like dungeon or something. It's an old dusty organ and see if they start playing it. And then oh you get to gosh. have some fun. Because some of those <laughs> artifacts will look like innocuous items that they may not even touch. And they just walk past this thing of giant power. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that kind of goes into the second thing, placement of the, of your of your treasure. I mean, is it going to be hidden? How is it going to be hidden? Yeah. For example, is it going to be um, invisible somehow? Is it going to be behind a hidden door? Right. Um, in, uh, in containers that yeah. you're going to have it in, chests, coffers, sacks, stuff like that. Right, or things thrown in a fountain or like mm-hmm. under a pile of dung, <laughs> buried. Right. I mean, there's all pl- kinds of places you could have st- items stuffed or even inside the belly of a monster. Right. Those are kind of like unusual places. And so, well, you know, you kill that dragon, you're going to cut open that, that stomach and see what you can find in it. I mean, vases, urns, hollowed out, you know, hollowed out objects, maybe. You can put um, your treasures in. So... Those are a few places. And also maybe is that container or that area, is it trapped? You know, is it got a poison needle trap? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a gas trap, darts shoot out. Uh, uh, maybe if you, um, I don't know, you trip the trap and uh, the thief is um, paralyzed, whatever it may be. We'll figure out what those traps are, what they do, and um, if there's saving throws available. So that's another thing about the about the treasure placement. Right. And you also have to consider with treasure, too. Are you giving out the experience points per gold piece of value? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had a big, we've had a big discussion about that before. <laughs> right. Because that can change the game drastically. If you're looking to run mm-hmm. a low-level game, but all of a sudden they get a few magic items that are worth a lot of gold... All of a sudden, they can be mm-hmm. leveling out of your adventure you had planned. Right, I did uh, finally uh, introduce the one gold piece equals one experience point thing in my Castle Greyhawk campaign. Now I got one guy in the in the group. He's playing the magic user, but my friend Frank who's playing him. He's like the accountant. He's taking account every last little copper piece converting everything into experience points. Yeah. And he's just having a time with it. I'm, he's actually enjoying it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was using it for my Ravenloft game just because I wanted to get them up to a high enough level that they would actually be able to go through Castle Ravenloft without having to spend years getting there. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden they found themselves with like – tens of thousands of gold and they're flooded with more money than they know what to do with however since they're in Ravenloft it's kind of useless <laughs> right so that that was the trade off yeah you got the XP from all this gold but now you're lugging around all this gold that has no real value <laughs> mm-hmm. well now you know with all this stuff of value it's not just 
you know, you know, coinage that we're talking about. It could be gems, could be jewelry, artwork, statues, artwork, and then you get to the really weird stuff: spices, yeah, clothing, uh, cloth, uh, pelts, uh, ivory tusks, things of that nature. One thing I liked. I know when Gary was writing a lot of those modules is not only was there coinage and gems and stuff like that, but here, here and there, every so often, he would throw in things like, um, you know, bolts of silk cloth. They're worth like 50 gold pieces each. Um, maybe a, uh, a pelt from a winter wolf. It's worth like 2,000 gold pieces or something like that. Right. So those are kind of the weird things that... Um, that have some sort of monetary value that is treasure. And sometimes those things get overlooked. Right. But over time, those players, when they get more, more experience like mine, if it's not bolted down, they're taking it. <laughs> yeah, that's how mine are. They have all kinds of fun stuff. They were living oh off like God. giant otter meat for like a year, it seemed like. Where they killed one and they took its pelt, they sold its pelt, they kept the meat and made some jerky. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. they won't be buying food for a while. They may grow tired right. of the taste of otter, but they're good for a while. But I could also yeah, I, see, said... I could also see some players though at that point when they start taking everything, you get into how much XP do I get for this turnip? Yeah. <laughs> so it can well, get, they a get really greedy. Yeah. Or if anything, they're like. My, I know my players, and I think some players do this too when they're going into a dungeon. I know mine, before they do that, they're going to buy a wagon or a cart, and they're going to have the hirelings watch over said hire, uh, cart or wagon, and they're you know loading up the cart and wagon and everything, and it's not just stuff that they might sell for coinage maybe, but they're thinking in the, uh, in the future, it's like eventually we're going to have to find a place to put our stuff, yeah, like George Carlin, a place for my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that shtick. But, um, you know, eventually you're going to find some sort of base of operations, if you want to call it that. And they have to have, you know, they're going to want furniture. They're going to <laughs> go into this base operations, whatever it may be. So a lot of them are like, okay, you know, there's a table and a few chairs here. They look in pretty good shape. Let's take them out of the dungeon. It's going to go into the new place we're going to get. So, and that's for them. It, yeah, it's treasure, but it's also got some, I guess, some practical use right. for that treasure as well. Right. Instead of going to ye old Ikea to get their furniture for their lair, they go and they loot the dungeon. <laughs> ye old Ikea. <laughs> that's awesome. But I think then, you know, I think you're also alluding to the thing is like, you know, how much, you know, you know, how much gold pieces am I going to get for these turnips? Like how much gold, how much treasure is too much, you know? So when the PCs can buy their own kingdom, that might be too much, but there's ways as a DM that you can introduce into your game that can, well, even that out. Yeah. What's one thing that you're always certain of in life? Taxes. Thank you. And death. Besides besides death, taxes. 
That's right. You're going into said dungeon, and you're going to go back to said village or city. Well, oh, my gosh. Each time you go into the city, you got to pay a fee to get past the gate. And then when you go in there, oh, wait a minute, you have all these weapons here? Well, we have to peace bond these. All these weapons peace bonded, that's a... That's also a tax as well that you're going to have to pay on. Oh, and also you have this villa over here. Um, well, you're going to have to pay a monthly or a yearly tax for, you know, having this villa. Oh, and you're renting it. Oh, yeah, you have a renter's agreement. And all this I'm saying is coming from experience just in the past year from the Castle Greyhawk campaign that I threw at them. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, or perhaps the Lord sees how much wealth they've accumulated, and all of a sudden there's an adventurer's tax. Specifics particularly oh, yeah. targeted at them. Oh, that's right. Because so last thing taxes. you would, yeah. Because the last thing the Lord would want is someone to have more money than him. That's right. So you got taxes, you have fees, um, and eventually later on, those player characters are going to have henchmen, hirelings, laborers, workers, yep. sages. All of those people cost money. Yeah. <laughs> They don't work for free. <laughs> right. So if you're going to hire that sage, he's going to have some sort of fee he's going to draw out for you for finding out the information. If you're going to have um, guards for your little um, keep that you've built, that's going to cost money too. So those are all things that you can you know, nip and pick at the, the coffers of the player characters at. So they keep them hungry to go out adventuring some more because they got to pay for all this other people that's hanging around them. <laughs> right. And not to mention, once it gets around, they have all this gold. They're going to be a target for thieves. That was my next point. Very good. Fame yeah. was going to bring thieves. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, at that so they're point. Gonna have to pre- yeah. At that point, all of a sudden, they're traveling through. The wilderness, and they're getting ambushed by bandits. They're now, like, mm-hmm. the number one target. They're at the bar. All of a sudden, the pickpockets are, like, hanging out with them, trying well, to right. bump up against them. Especially if you go around flashing your cash, so. Right. right. And you know the players will. Mm-hmm. They will. Right, they, and the player characters, they're eventually going to become famous, at least locally. So word's going to come out and say, not only are they famous, but they're very they're rich and famous. And, you know, if you got a thieves' guild in town, they might want to, you know, either A, raid their little, you know, villa or uh, tower or wherever they have where they're holed up at and steal a bunch of stuff. Or what I like to do, I like to use my thieves' guild like they're the mafia. You know, they come in there, you know, we're going to give you an offer you can't refuse. You pay us some protection money. And nothing will happen to you and your valuables. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's how I like to play it. <laughs> right. So there's plenty of ways to part a player and their money. Not to mention, you could even have the uh, have them buy player some... character. Now, yeah. a player and his money, that's different. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yes, the player's characters, the, they... You can also have them part with their money, perhaps... They go to buy some magic items or something, and they're not actually magic. Well, they're cursed. Yep, they're cursed. Perhaps the the, the old snake oil salesman comes through towns, shilling some wares, and the players are like, oh, we could use some of that. That's a good idea. We need that. 
mm-hmm. and it's the only place you can get it. They buy some, and they're like, yep. oh, we just got scammed. Now you also have a new adventure because they go down and look for that snake oil salesman and seek revenge. Right. <laughs> so many different ways that you can get at the player character's money so they don't feel too rich. They're always going out trying to get more to pay for their lifestyle, essentially. Right. Or you put them in an environment where it doesn't matter how much money they have. If mm-hmm. if you all of a sudden have all this, like, tens of thousands of coinage and you're traveling to a far-off land, are you going to tr- cart that much coinage with you? No. You're only going no. to take a little bit with you. So, or convert it into something that's a little more transportable. Right. At which point, then you have to find someone willing to buy it at that, at which point you're probably going to lose some value through the right, exchange as well. they're going to want a fee too, won't they? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden you just, you can just nick, you could either nickel, you can nickel and nile them to death. Oh, sure. So. Death by a thousand cuts almost. Right. At which point they'll be like, we're tired of money. We're just going to go adventure and take Bleed what we need. Dry. <laughs> we're just going to live out in the forest. <laughs> Then all the, yeah, they well, end up with so much wealth just to file their taxes, they have to hire another hireling that's an accountant. Right. Mm-hmm. And we might be skimming off the top, so. Right. Well, I think we covered treasure pretty well. What do you think? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to wrap up the show this week, then. Yeah. Okay. Good one. About, uh, yeah, good stuff. How to be your how to be a good dungeon master, we're going to title this, or how, to be a, how, how are we going to title this one, Matt? Uh, shall we steal Gary Gygax's title for his DM book? No, well, that might be copyrighted. Yeah, but, well, just keep this as "How to Dungeon Master" or okay. tip, yeah, tips to dungeon mastering. Dungeon tips. mastering one hundred and one. Okay. Yes, there we go. Dungeon mastering one hundred and one. There we go. I am. Typing That'll right wrap now. up volume four, issue number one fifty eight. Uh, we're gonna say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Hey, everybody. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.